spend time with your employees, make it, make it a point to right now, today where I'm at, my, my customers are my employees and our vendors. Welcome to the Get Wired Podcast, presented by CED Vero Beach. Join us as we make new connections, share our outlooks on business as well as life, and provide a new look at the wholesale electrical supply industry from the inside out. This is the Get Wired Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Burkhart. All right, welcome to the Get Wired Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Burkhart, and today's guest is Tyler Candelaria. He's a friend of mine from the Management Training Program, going back about nine years. So it's important to remember that when you're in the training program, you get to meet all these interesting people from all over the country. You never know where they're going to end up or what they're going to get into. And Tyler has a great story about going from a five-person PC, excuse me, a three-person PC, turning it into a five-person PC, and then moving on to a 40-person location. So as you can imagine, it's quite the uh, learning curve and experience curve right away. So lots to learn here. Stay tuned. Here's Tyler. So I think we we hire at least up here in this neck of the woods, right? We we hire some good people, and we we're so like thorough on the recruiting end of things, and we find them to fit the profile, generally speaking. But then we kind of just like throw them to the wolves, and we're like, oh, they're smart; they'll figure it out. And we don't. I don't think we really have a great sales training, blocking and tackling type of program, hmm. honestly. Um, and that's kind of what this was, right? So it felt a little rudimentary or basic, um, but it was really just the fundamentals of running a, a you know, a, a territory, you know, and the self-discipline and stuff like that. I mean, we got super granular. We we did a, uh, like, super old school. We filmed each other in a mock sales call and then critiqued it. Really? Which, I, it's been years, like, years and years since I ever did that. I don't think and I, I probably only did that. it once. Yeah. So it was good. You know, it, again, none, none of these things we do is like, I don't know, earth shattering. <laughs> it's just kind of a culmination of a bunch of little stuff and refreshers. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I always talk about, and one of the reasons I do the podcast is that, uh, that once the training program is over, besides division meetings, maybe once a quarter where you might pick up a negative two or something like that, like you're pretty much on your own as far as continued education goes in this industry. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, our best tool is our network. And I think, again, I've only worked in this division up here. Um, so we have like kind of a lot of younger, so like sub, sub 40, you know, I mean, younger managers. I say that now I've been doing, you know, I've been in for like nine years or so, but a bunch of people kind of came up together. So we're good about bouncing ideas off each other and talking, but different divisions i mean you might only have like a, you know two people out of 15 that came through the training program within a 10-year span of you yeah it's just not as not as comfortable it's not as easy it's not as i don't know second nature to call them up and kind of gripe and complain or, or or bounce ideas off of them so yeah absolutely well, how big is your division we now have we have a larger division i think we have like 28 locations oh well okay uh, it's expanded a little bit since we had a division manager. Um, he kind of changed roles. So we have all of the lower peninsula of Michigan and then down to like Indianapolis, more or less. So Michigan plus a little bit, I guess is the best way to say it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been at that location? 
I've been here, I've been at this location for just shy of three years. So three years there and then two years in the training program. So four years at the previous location, give or take? Yep. Yep, give or take. I was uh, I was on the, the, the long, the extended program and the uh, MT program because I, I don't know, kind of tripped up a few times. <laughs> took the extended path, you know what I mean? I took that course through college. I graduated when I was 25. So <laughs> uh, I took I took that course through college as well. So we, that we, I have a uh, I'm consistently on the long path. Lots of experience though. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the thing. You come out with more experience than everybody else. That's what they don't realize. Is it's, it's kind of sneaky. You know, you stick around, yeah. you learn a little more, come out more experienced. That's, that's right. I left it all. I left it all on the on the field. <laughs> and the first PC that um did you did you have any great success there? Like, was it a big growth spurt that happened there, or was it? Um, what was your experience yeah. like there? So I kind of tell the story I, that I uh, I took something tiny and turned it into something small but very profitable. Um, when I got there, we were trending towards bucks for the year. Okay. When I got there, there was there was two and a half people employed. I was you know, and I fired the half a person after I found out our delivery driver didn't have a license. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, when I left there, we were trending just towards about a little shy of that. But yeah, good, good profitability, good GP per employee. I had, you know, a small team. When I left, we were up to about um, five or so. So still, again, really small. But uh, yeah, good, good customer base. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, customers are pretty good to us once you kind of earn their trust, you know. They don't have a lot of options. That sounds a lot like Vero um, in terms of numbers. I'm gonna have to edit out those those numbers you mentioned for the for the show, but uh, it's good reference for me to know because um, we were in the same position basically. It started at one place and then over a couple of years, you know, tripled, quadrupled the numbers. And it's easy to do that when the store's small. There's a lot of opportunity out yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. You can find. I mean, really, you can find three good customers. And if you can flip three people in, in, a, in a business like that, it's gravy. And then by, by the time you, by the time you flip those three, you accidentally have something on your hands that another five or six in the market are interested in. But it's not like you got to go convert twenty customers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean most of our businesses are made up of three or four really big customers, and. And, uh, you know, it's forecast season, of course. We're starting to dig into that and look at that. And um, I just reprinted last year's forecast, so I have it, a fresh copy of it because mine's all torn up from notes throughout the year. And um, But it's interesting because one of my goals is to bring up some some new, some new B customers into A customers and, like, create these bigger accounts, and they end up always being about the same four or five customers. So um not going to hit that one this year because they're just not uh, – it. like, our whole business is based around, like, four or five guys, which is crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're a little more spread out here just because we've had some growth. But, uh, I mean, when I was down, you know, my prior position, one customer was, you know, 20, you know, 20% of our business. Jeez. You know, from a, from a GP standpoint. Um, thankfully, you know, they were, they were a large OEM customer who was very stable. Right. But, you know, one of the things I'm real proud of is after I left there, 
uh, I hired my, or I helped, I had a major part in hiring my replacement and he has done a great job of, um, diversifying their business. So they still have that customer who, you know, as you can almost bank on has, has ticked down a little bit, but they're still strong. Number one there, but now they have, you know, a two, three and four who are really kind of running neck and neck with them. So I got a nice business down there now. So what's the approach when you, when you're trying to, as you put it, flip these customers or, um, or bring somebody on board, like, how did you, and, and having come back from this conference, it might all be fresh in your mind. Like the, what's the sales technique? What are the tactics? What are some of the tips that we can, we can all use out here in the field? I can speak, I guess I'll, I'll talk first in, in the, on the smaller, you know, in, in a, the smaller market, um, where we were, you know, there wasn't quite as much competition there. I think it was really just, leveraging the, the tools that you have, you know, through CED, I really broke it down into just going out, ask, I mean, it seems very simple, right? Just going out, ask, asking the right questions, trying to ask more questions than, than selling, listening and identifying the, the things that you, that we can do quicker and more easily than our competition. So listening for those opportunities, listening to what they care about, going back, making those changes or, or implementing within your business, and then doing a good job of consistently relaying it back to the customer, right? And just asking for the opportunity, right? Which is, you know, as they identify, as they, as they say, hey, you know, this is my pain point. I really wish this was different. If you have the ability to do it, ask right then and there, you know, for the order which is, hey, so if I was able to go do this and make, you know, whether it's a stocking ordeal or some weird delivery constraint or whatever it is, you know, if I was able to do this, would would you give me that business or would you work with me more? Or would that make it easier for me to do business with? And then lots of times we go and we do these things specifically on the inventory piece, but we do a, a poor job of going back and selling at that point. You know, we assume that we told them once and they know, and then we have this old inventory that sits on the shelf or these oddball agreements that never really pan out and it's really basic, you know, blocking and tackling of sales and marketing. So on, on, in the smaller market where I was an active salesperson, I'd say that that was kind of a, a ticket to success, right? It's not, it's nothing crazy. It's just utilizing the business model we have, you know? So you're saying go out there listen to the customer, ask them what, where the pain points are and then, put band-aids on the pain points and then ask ask for the order ask yeah absolutely i know it's like uh 101 right well i just, I just want people but, to know how simple it actually is like it's 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 a little more complicated and has a little more finesse than that but essentially that's all it is the conversation might be an hour it might be 15 minutes depending on the guy it might be over text message or you know over lunch or dinner or golf or whatever it is but essentially it all comes down to those couple points of no one's 100% happy with their supplier. Uh, so if, if somebody's willing to offer a, uh, an alternative or a better solution, they're probably going to listen at least. You're probably going to get at least the opportunity to, to, to give your pitch. Yeah, I mean, the other piece that goes with it, right, is in order to get to that position, there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes with it, right, which is, um, you know, building the relationship, right? We talk about relationship a lot, but, I mean, you know, depending – where a customer is in their, you know, the cycle with their, with their current partner, that might take two years, 
you might get lucky and maybe they're not on anybody's radar and you can kind of accomplish that over the course of, you know, two weeks or two months. But I, you know, one of my bigger successes in the past, that was a, that was a year long sales cycle of asking for the opportunity and getting told no and pushing back, pushing back and eventually just kind of saying, okay, you know what, right now, this doesn't make sense for you. I get it, but I'm going to continue to, to work on the relationship here and build that consistency and that trust so that when things did come around, you know, you put in the work, you put in the time um, to be in that position. Because, you know, like I said, it sounds, I guess it sounds easy to say, yeah, just ask them what their problems are, ask them what their issues are, listen and, and fix it, right? But lots of times if you go knock on somebody's door and say, hey, you know, are you happy with the current supplier? The easy answer is yes, leave me alone. Yeah. You know, so it's really tearing down those walls to get real information. Well, I think you mentioned something interesting earlier too. You said that once you had those first those big wins and you had a couple of good customers lined up, it made it easier to get the the rest of the customers more interested because they're seeing the traffic, they're seeing they're, they might be communicating with those guys outside of work or network with them on the job sites or whatever the case is, and they're like, "Oh, who do you use?" And oh, I've been using CED, and and you know they're great. They just I asked them to stock this, and now it's in stock, and. So like the, the the momentum really starts to build once you get a couple of those accounts under your belt, and you can stock more stuff, which means you can sell more stuff to other people as well. Yeah, a- absolutely. And uh, the other part is just being smart. You know, if you have a targeted approach towards your market, right? Because there's going to be a there's usually a handful of different customer types, and then there's the outliers. Uh, rather than going out and trying to reinvent your business for every single customer, you know, decide the group you want to go after, pick the, pick the players that you think align best for your business. More often than not, those aren't the biggest guys, right? But if you go and you kind of build, build that offering to them, it's a, it's a significantly easier process to then go identify and relay the message instead of having to go through the entire process from top to bottom over and over and over again. Hmm. Make sense? Yeah. And how many sales calls do you think that you're putting in before you start seeing results? It varies, but I think realistically, I mean, I think you have to assume you're going to call on a customer, an average customer for at least, I think, three months before you, that can be on the, the fast side too. I, I think, right? Wow. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, today it's a little different for me because Today I'm, I'm, you know, I manage a, I have a team of just north of 40. I don't, I don't call on customers um, in the, you know, I don't, I don't have a sales territory here personally. That's a decision I've made, right? I have people who I think are, are better and more well suited for the commercial contracting market here than I am. Yeah, in the past, right? I think if I have a younger or a newer salesperson, you know, I think if they call on somebody for three months you know, once or twice a week, learning the organization, I think that's probably where you're going to get your first legitimate opportunity. You might get, a, you might get lucky on one or two sales calls. It happens, right? Sure. You might get the, the crappy order that nobody else wanted. <laughs> um, but that's not the kind of, yeah, you take it, you try and leverage it into something else, but that's not like, uh, you don't wave the success flag after that. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we always throw around the numbers uh, 7 to 12 sales calls, like good quality sales calls. Um, 
saying a lot of yeah. people quit at like three or four. They're like, oh, this guy's worthless. He's not. We're not getting anywhere with him. Whatever. But it really is that seven to twelve really good sales calls, and you can even have them mapped out. We've done that with um with my outside guy here. We mapped out like the first three are just very introductory. Then, then if you want, you bring the donuts by or whatever the situation is, and then come back with some flyers. You know, start, try to try to see what lights them up. We bring a lighting flyer, bring a wire flyer, bring bring something and bring a product in. Leave it on their desk if they like it, um, and then start doing the joint calls. Bring me in as a manager. Bring. Uh, vendors in, bring an inside guy in, like just, just find a reason to go back that actually does help and is different than, than what the other guys are doing. You just walk in, Hey, you got anything for me today? No, cool. Or yeah, here's a stack of quotes. Go, go take care of that. I should keep you busy for a while. Um, yeah, that, that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for like the deep quality, finding what's missing in their business and then figuring out a way that only we can fill that hole. Um, yeah, well, and I think that a lot has to do with the asking the right questions you know what i mean so you say that 12 12 calls is kind of a maybe a, a benchmark you guys use i mean that first one you know the first three might just be learning who they are right and learning i mean there's some customers it takes months to just even learn how their organization works yeah you know but yeah we're big fans of team selling up here every business can kind of set up their, their strategy a little differently, right? It's the beauty of this thing. For us, uh, you know, the, the outside guys are there to kind of, you know, cast cast the bait and set the hook, right? And then the inside and the projects, uh, the project management team, they're there to kind of reel them in, right? Along with the outside people, you know, continuing to, to, to set more hooks while they're out there. Um, but yeah, it takes time. Do you have your inside guys go out and meet the actual people that they're always emailing and, and calling and stuff? Is that one of the? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We, um, I mean, we 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 spend more than average on the sales expense end of things. Uh, we've been trying to reel it in lately, just to be you know fiscally responsible. But yeah, we do. You know, we try and get people out, whether it's for drinks or golf or whatever. You know, what have you we make it a point to try and get them outside of the office, right? At a, uh, you know, at neither our business or theirs, just out and about. And we try and get all of our support staff, uh, whether it be project managers or uh, even our ops team, you know what I mean? Just trying to get, create those relationships because at the end, we're, at the end of the day, we're middlemen. So you gotta, you know, you gotta build as many, um, I don't know, you know, build, build boats and uh, big fences, you know what I mean, to try, try and keep the other guys out. Yeah, I think about uh, barriers to entry quite a bit. And so we always try to do things that are, like, really difficult to replicate because and – and then I'm not so afraid if somebody finds out, like, oh, they, these guys are doing this over there now or they have this delivery program whatever. And it's like yeah, – I, I heard this the other day. I can't remember what show I was watching, but they said a lot of people watch Bruce Lee movies, but that doesn't mean that every guy knows karate. So you yeah. can, if, if you're doing something that's really challenging, like who cares if everyone finds out what you're doing, because it's going to be really hard to replicate. And most people will try it once and quit anyways. And, you know, we do a Friday barbecue every single Friday. We actually found it was easier to do it every Friday than to try to remember which Friday of the month we're trying to do it on. Um, and that drives a ton of business, our place every single Friday at 11 o'clock. And it's 
not easy to replicate. Like, sure, you could just appoint somebody to do that and, and have it in place, but the competition is not willing to do that. They're, they're much more likely to do like a quarterly counter day or something like that. Whereas we're feeding the entire county's electricians every single Friday, anybody that wants to come. Um, and that's just a small example of, of creating these barriers to entry where whether it's with the sales team or getting out there and building relationships or just something you do at your counter for fun or um, a delivery program that you have that's very hard to replicate. Um, you'd mentioned, yeah, no. You mentioned something about lockers in a previous conversation. Is that something you're doing at your new place or is that something you're doing at your, your old PC? So that was something I evaluated as we were – so we, we built a new building, and uh, or I should say somebody built a building for us, right? We moved our business. For a while there, I was operating two locations. Um, wow. And one of the one of my thought one part of my thought process was okay, how to kind of have our cake and eat it too because we were kind of loyal to the guys who who were loyal to us in our, our smaller days, and uh, we didn't want to just kind of disappear. So the thought was, what what are some other options? So I went down the locker route. I personally did not end up utilizing that here yet. Um, but I could see that potential being part of our, you know, some future plans. What was it? Well, so, I mean, essentially what it is, is it's, it's a, it's a, it's a locker system. I, I mean, honestly, I thought of it as kind of the Amazon, what I think the Amazon lockers are in some of these bigger markets, which are, you could write us an order. We can have a drop off point and then there's like a cloud based, um, pin code and order, I guess, management system, right? That, that, uh, we would upload that there's a, a pickup in locker number one and the customer would go there at any time and put in their temporary code and it would unlock that locker. And that locker might have, you know, one, two, seven, uh, boxes of material in it. And the thought was to put it in outlying areas, right? Areas that otherwise, customers might not utilize us, but because they like, you know, because we have the relationship, they enjoy doing business with us. If it's just a problem of location, that would be our, our least costly way to still service that business. So you guys move pretty far then, I would, it sounds like? It would sound like that, but no, <laughs> that, that's why I chose against it. I mean, honestly, we're, I'm like 10 miles from where I was. That's pretty significant, um, though, for local local traffic. You know, I can see that being. Yeah, helpful. yeah, we have. Um, everybody has something kind of unique in their market, right? But our, you know, locally, that the guys on the south side of town don't like coming to the north, and the guys on the north side don't like going to the south. And we're trying to tell everybody, hey, trust our delivery mechanism. But you have some contractors who just, you know, they like going to the supply house so i didn't doing that yet but our contractors are going further and further to do business and because we don't the constraints that that our competitors do on territories we find ourselves at times doing things that are kind of silly sure. on paper yeah. right which is because we can go anywhere i think lots of times we 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 do increase our service area um so i could see a point in the future where maybe in some of these markets that are, say, 30 miles out of town that don't have a strong distributor, it might make sense to eventually put this locker system in there. So are these pretty big lockers then? 
Like they're not like high school yeah. gym lockers. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of flexibility. Um, yeah, they can be bigger. I haven't figured out a conduit offering yet. Hmm. Um, it would basically be more odds and ends. You know, you could do circuit wire and then fittings, you know, miscellaneous stuff. But, I mean, there's nothing saying you couldn't. I'm sure somebody makes some sort of like a padlock, you know, like a cloud-based padlock or something. You could put, why couldn't you just put that in like a cage of some sort? Sure. We have a big customer. You know, the, the other stuff we're doing is, um, you know, job boxes, and we actually do some job trailers now. So we have different options within that within that world. But um, the lockers just didn't make sense yet. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting concept, and I've actually looked at some used lockers on, like, OfferUp and Craigslist and stuff like that just because we get customers saying, like, oh, I'll be there at 530 or whatever, and it's like, you know, they're picking up a piece of flex and a liquid tight connector or whatever, and it's like, this would be a lot. And so, and so what we end up doing is we just throw it under the truck, and, and the guy's totally cool with that. He's like, hey, just put it under the truck like last time, you know, and so if anybody's listening yeah. to this and you drive behind CED, there's probably some material like under $6 worth of material back there. Um, but it'd be interesting to have a way to, for it to be secured. And then, of course, you know your liability going to is just the size of the order and the lock. But it doesn't even have to be like a technology-based lock. You can get those really simple padlocks that once you put the code in, you can change the code, you know, right there at the bottom yeah. and just make one each time. And um, as far as the conduit goes... If you had a 10-foot long locker set up, you could have the bottom part just be for a conduit and have a separate lock on that and then have multiple lockers maybe. But it's an interesting yeah. concept. We, uh, When I was actually talking to the person or the, the salesperson from that company, he said that a lot of customers that utilize that actually, they do utilize it in that way. It's not necessarily setting up, um, you know, setting up something in like a, in a, in a far away place or a market that's underserved or something. Lots of folks just put them right out on their own building to improve the customer experience, maybe improve the quickness or the after hours type stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting, right? Because real estate is expensive, right? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you could you could just ship confirm it and just take a picture of it in the locker as your proof of delivery, <laughs> and be like, hey, yeah, "Hey, man, it was there at this time. Obviously, it's my address, but uh, or wherever the address is, and and here's here's your code, and, or one customer always has the same code, or whatever." Um, there's a lot of options there. A lot of, I mean, that's what that's what's cool is just reaching out to people and just hearing something that they're doing in their market that maybe you can. Maybe you don't use that exact idea, but you're able to internalize that, and then the next time something comes up, you can have that in the back of your mind to kind of put the puzzle pieces together a little bit and make it something that you can use. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like literally the tagline of the show is ideas in equals ideas out. So the more things you pump into your head and ideas and people you bring together and the network you provide and, and connect with, the more ideas are going to come out because, you know, everyone's unique in their experience. And, and what makes you unique is all the different experiences you've had that lead you to an, to a final solution of, solving a problem for a customer and, and sometimes it's sometimes it's not not obvious you know i think the locker thing could go somewhere yeah and, and again the thing i i'm taking from it is through our through our growth here um 
we are coming up, we're, we're identifying a whole bunch of opportunities and, and, and challenges and problems. So there's a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of weird ideas. There's a lot of bad ideas floating around. <laughs> but uh, we have a great proving ground right now to kind of try them out. You know what I mean? Because we have the we have the, I guess, the velocity right now to to try stuff and and see pretty quickly if it's going to work or not. Uh, so if it doesn't work today, that doesn't mean that it's never going to work again. Or maybe, like you said, you come up with a. It's the third iteration of an idea that's really the good one. Do you guys do brainstorming sessions, like specifically scheduled formal brainstorming sessions, or is it just kind of? We we don't. Um, that's a good idea. We don't. Uh, but we do have, I'd say we have a culture of collaboration. Yeah. That sounds like a overly fancy term for something I've never actually said, I promise. <laughs> so it, it's just, you know, it, it's not about age. We, we happen to have a younger group. I think a lot of it just has to do with a lot of people going through a lot of experiences together. Um, the, you know, we're, we have an open style office concept, right? So no cubicles. Um, some days it drives me insane. I wish we would have put up some bigger walls at times, but the benefit we get is just ideas come out and we set them pretty quickly. Uh, we have a lot, we have every Monday, you know, we have, we have our project slash sales meeting. Um, we also have uh, monthly just outside sales and inside sales meetings. So there's a lot of um, opportunity to voice ideas and challenges and concerns. So, yeah, but, but as far as just straight out planned collaboration sessions, uh, we are not doing that. Well, I know that Pete uh, and Travis in my division down in Miami, they're, they're pretty, fairly close to each other uh, distance-wise in, in the Miami uh, territory. And they meet once, I believe it's once a month or maybe it's once every two weeks, and they have um, they give people this form ahead of time, and it, it literally is just like this brainstorming meeting so you're not on the spot trying to think of something clever. You have the sheet. You know that you're up on a rotating schedule. Like maybe if, if you go one time, then your your neighbor goes the next time or whatever. Uh, but you know your time's coming up, and you got to have at least one idea. It doesn't have to be a good idea. It just has to be an idea. And so you have the sheet next to you all week long, and when something pops into your head, you just write it down. And they get all sorts of stuff out of that. I mean, you just you just never know where it's going to lead to, and somebody could say something, and then that could – trigger somebody else at the table to think on it and build on top of it. But the point is like the meeting is like a, there's no wrong answers. We're not going to think you're dumb if you throw something out there and it's just really a terrible idea. Just, just bring us ideas and we'll figure it out. Um, kind of like a net aggregator of just the ideas themselves without any judgment or, um, you know, yeah. anything, anything like that. It's, it's, it's pretty clever. I sat in on one via, um, via a uh, webcam and it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that, that'd be interesting. I was actually just, I've been, uh, one of the things I'd like to get accomplished here yet this year is, it's kind of twofold, right? It's uh, some sort of like internal employee uh, appreciation or recognition program, right? I used to work for a hotel chain and one of the things we had was a, uh, it's called Catch Catch Me At My Best or Catch You At Your Best. Hmm. Uh, so there's that where I'd like employees, you know, if they see somebody doing something uh, that they didn't have to do going above and beyond, uh, you know, have them tell just they'll go, got to make it easy, right? But like a like a short, brief card saying what, what they saw them doing um, and share that with the team once a month. 
But the other thing I thought was something similar to what you're talking about, where if you have an idea for a customer-facing cool idea uh, or something that we think will help make the business more profitable, right? If you think there's maybe a slightly better way to do something, uh, cut some costs without sacrificing the service to the customer, um, you know, have, have a easy way to reward that and an easy way to share ideas. So, Can you yeah, give me an example of a catch me at my best that maybe you've seen or that's, you know, like what would that, what would that look like in your PC? So in my PC, it might be, I mean, it might be something as simple as, uh, like recently, right, something in, in one of our customer bathrooms, uh, the toilet paper roll thing fell off the wall, right? And I can't tell you, after, after the fact, I realized it had sat there for maybe like a week where people were still, you know, just putting the toilet paper up on the back of the toilet, right? <laughs> Eventually, one of my, as silly as it sounds, one of my outside sales guys, right, was like, hey, this is, this is our team, this is our building, this is our business. I'm going to bring in my drill and just put this thing back up, right? It's simple. Some would say it's stupid, right? But it's just, it's something they didn't have to do. Yeah. And you want people to have that mindset of, of, you know, it being a shared business and we all win together, lose together. Uh, you want people to be proud of where they work. So something as simple as that. I mean, otherwise there's, you know, the examples of, um, you know, customers giving kind of a shout out to exemplary service, you know, Hey, I called such and such at, um, you know, four forty-five on a Friday, all the other competitors in town are closed. You know, Brian was there. Not only was he there, he took my call and got me my answer in 10 minutes. The other guys would have waited till Monday. Yeah. You know, and I think it's important to, um, even if it's a non-monetary thing, right. Just, you got to share those with the team. You got to let them know that your your people are always watching, right? People are always talking. So just little stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you could give out like a free sub at Subway or something like that. Like, you know, what is that? Five dollars for a long sub or something? Yeah. Or like yeah, my extra... warehouse my my warehouse manager has told me before that his his guys and gals what gets them the most fired up or what they really love are five dollar gift cards to Speedway. You know, and a lot of times I try to, you know, maybe over overcompensate or, or, or I try and put it on a pedestal about like how elaborate this thing has to be. I mean, why not just go buy a hundred bucks worth of gift cards? Yeah. That's cheap in the grand scheme of things. It's cheap. That's cheap to have people come to work and feel empowered and motivated and, and have ownership. I mean, you could literally walk around with five of those a day in your pocket and when you see something, just do it right there on the spot, you know, like. Just yeah, almost like a soccer referee, you know, like a red card, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But right. in, a, in a good way. Yeah, you know, like yeah, that's pretty cool. So let's shift gears a little bit because managing you said forty people and coming from a location that has five—that's a huge shift in mindset, skill sets, learning curves, all that stuff. How did you take that on? What what help did you get from in the transition, and then? what lessons have you learned? Because I've heard that the most challenging part of CED is finding that like that middle range of store manager, which is, I guess is, would be like the 40 person store. Cause there's also huge stores out there. I was nervous about the transition. 
right? Because I'm nervous about the transition, and it happened years ago. <laughs> I'm just thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was nervous about it because I imagine, you know, I managed three people at first, one of which was myself. I was the only outside person I had to manage, right? That's a whole other animal there. Um, and at the end of the day, I grew it to this big five people. To then walk into something which was at the time, I want to say maybe 31 or 32, maybe. Um, I figured that somewhere between 5 and 30, there's probably a lot of good lessons to be learned. And I was, I was nervous about kind of making that jump, right, and throwing myself into the deep end. You know, I tried to do the things the second time around that I that I maybe messed up the first time, which is coming in and trying to change things too fast. Uh always a big one so yeah you know I, I came in and there's a lot of things I didn't understand at first and I tried really hard to just kind of sit back and and accept that it might make sense after a little bit of time and eventually there were some things and uh, there were some other things that I realized hey this is this is an opportunity for me to me to bring value the biggest opportunity, I guess, what's really allowed me to, I guess, continue and not completely mess this thing up is looking at what you have in your people, right? Because I know from my prior experience, um, when you get somewhere and you're maybe part of the growth, you got, you got to work really hard to not pigeonhole people into what you think they are, right? right? Because when you got there, when they first joined, they were hired to do, you know, tasks X and Y, um, or maybe they're a warehouse, you know, they were hired into the warehouse. Um, and in the back of your mind, you might think, well, yeah, this person could climb their way through the warehouse. Well, they might also, you should have the, I guess, an open mindset that, you know, based on profile, a combination of profile and on the job experience, right. They might be an awesome accounts payable person or outside salesperson, right? Yeah. So coming in after they, there was already so many folks who were in roles, um, somewhat segmented roles, just trying to look at them and their body of work for what they were doing and trying to put them in the right position has really, uh, I guess, that's where most of my time was spent. The other piece is kind of accepting what you want to be as a manager right? There's a lot of people, I would guess that the majority of folks who have PCs with more than say 30 or 40 people, most of them are probably the sales manager and still selling and calling on an account, you know, some version of a territory. Uh, I called on, I called on a couple, well, a larger account for like the first year and a half. And at a certain point I just said, you know what? My prior experience was in, was in primarily OEM and industrial landscape, and then to come here where it's a fast-moving commercial uh, contractor type of clientele. At a certain point, I just said, you know what, this this isn't where I add the most value, and kind of just giving that up, right? That doesn't mean it's right for everybody, but I accepted that that's not where I was going to bring the most value. So those have been some, some things that kind of helped me get through that process. We're now at 40 people. We were upwards of 50 when I had the two locations. Um, I made some mistakes along the way. That was way too many people. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, you definitely have to do some soul searching and figure out, you know, who do you want to be and, and what's best for the location and, and the profitability of the store. And I think it's smart that you took a look at that and pulled back because, I mean, so much of your job is just, just got to be managing people. So, like, to do that and to take on a, a large, like you said, fast-moving, very demanding con- commercial contractor, that could be pretty overwhelming pretty quickly. And And if you you know, if you chase two rabbits, sometimes you lose both and go hungry. So you got to pick like managing 40 people or managing this one account, which you could give to somebody else and empower them to like really grow with it and become better at what they do and and have a lot more pride in what they do and create an opportunity for somebody. You know, I think that's huge. I think you made the right call. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's exactly what happened. I, you know, a year and a half in, I promoted one of uh, the sales guys um to sales manager because quite frankly he's with that with that group of outside guys i think he's he's better at uh the the direct i guess uh pushing of them right because with 40 people or with a lot of people you know i've always made it a point to kind of have like an open door policy i want my employees uh, for better or worse to be comfortable talking to me about whatever it is right whether it's work related or or, or not if everybody takes up you know 10 minutes of your day (laughs) your your day is gone that's it yeah you know and i know myself well enough now that for me to say well i'm I'm gonna suddenly change that about myself it's not gonna happen you know it's for better or worse it's, it's who i am so, again, just trying to find the right people, put them in the right positions. And then the, the, the things that kind of got wrong were, you know, employees are always going to feel busy, right? And when you're overstaffed, you're, not gonna, you're usually not going to find somebody just twiddling their thumbs in a corner. They're going to look busy. They're going to say they're busy. But there's a bunch of um, capacity that's not being utilized, right? So we got way too fat and uh you know I, I, from a P&L standpoint I, I, it got it's been it's been tough because we allowed that to happen so uh we're down actually about seven people year to date with strong double digit growth um, on the sales end of things that's nice yeah so, that's, that's really interesting you you say that it's um parkinson's law right is that work fills this amount of time you give it just like a gas fills the room that it's in you know um so if you give somebody an hour to do a task that you think should take an hour and a half, they can probably get it done in an hour if they work really hard. But if you give them that hour and a half, they're going to wait till that 90th minute to submit it. And um, in construction, they always say give the hardest jobs on a Friday afternoon and tell people they can go home afterwards and watch how fast they get it done, you know? Um, yeah. You think it'll take them until 4 or 5 and they're done at 2 o'clock. And like makes you wonder, what the hell is going on the rest of the time? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. In... Uh where you're at is 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 there any seasonality to business down there? You know, there is. Uh, we're pretty busy all year round, but um, we do talk about this season in Florida of like when the when the uh, when the snowbirds come back. You know, so it's it starts in right around right after hurricane season, so like October, like basically Halloween, right when forecast starts, and then you have November, yeah. December. Everyone's got to be ready for the holidays and. Um, they're coming back and they're doing all sorts of service to their house that they haven't seen in a year. And then when they leave, there's all this new construction going on. So I feel like we're busy all year round. It's just a different type of busy. It's like new construction versus service remodel, get it done before the holidays kind of thing. 
Yeah. So for us, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm in, I'm in the construction business in Michigan, right? And the ground's going to freeze every year. Oh, man. So one, one of the things I've, I've kind of uh, learned through this process is uh, one of the big changes I've had to make, right, is in a smaller PC when I had five people or four people or whatever it is, there's an, you know, your business day-to-day can swing by, let's say, 20%, right, through the seasons. Um, 20% of five people, you you know, you might have a person, you know, one person that you're, you're supporting through the downtime uh, that's wasteful in downtimes, but mm-hmm. absolutely necessary in busy times, right? But it's not optimal, but, you know, if you want to keep them employed and you want to make sure the benefits keep rolling and all that, it's just kind of a cost of doing business. Sure. Um, up here, when I when I was at, um, you know, when we had upwards of fifty people, my one of my concerns uh, was trying to make it bearable during the busy time, right? So if you staff for the busy time, let's say it takes fifty people, and then winter comes around and your business is down twenty percent. You're no longer talking one person's worth of wasted salary, right? You're talking ten people. That's huge. Well, yeah. So ten people worth over the over the course of the winter, you can spend the rest of the year just trying to dig out of that hole, right? So, you know, I've tried to take a look at, um, you know, any anything that we can approach from like a flexible, uh, you know, pay pay on demand type of use. We're trying to identify those and move towards that. So whether that's third-party logistics or, you know, in this business, there's a spot for temp services. Um, we're just trying to be smarter about it because I got in that dangerous cycle of, you know, I didn't want to overwork my people per se. You know, I want them to be busy but not overworked. But, again, it, it, it it's a very – people are always going to say they're busy. You know, yeah. what, what's happening now is all the work plus a bunch is getting done with seven, seven less people, you know? <laughs> I like it when it's that busy. Like, I, I think there's like an intensity to the location that, that just breeds excellence and, and like mistakes will get made and stuff like that. But when customers come in, they see everyone's focused and their heads down and working, but they're still like polite and pulling orders and stuff like that. Like, I like that energy that it gives to the store. So, you know, CDs traditionally kind of they run a little leaner than they probably, than our competitors probably do. But I, I kind of like that, you know, it keeps us, it keeps us lean and scrappy. And, and I don't know, it's like every day is just like this, this sense of urgency that we have to keep up with. And we definitely don't see big swings like that. Um, I should go back and I used to track each month on like a graph so I could see it more clearly in terms of, you know, volume of sales and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, we're pretty, pretty even every month is about the same amount in sales. So I guess that's a good thing. It's just a different type of business. You have to go from bidding to, to you know, having having landscape lights and outdoor fixtures because they come home and realize they got destroyed in the year that they were gone. And we got to have them for Thanksgiving, you know. God forbid our, our our friends come down and see that we don't have this tree lit up. But uh, that's right. You know, Vero is a super special place in the world. It, it's it's very affluent on the island. It's got one of the highest millionaires per capita in the country. I think it's like number five or something like that. The whole island is just baller. You know, it's just very, yeah. very affluent and, and wealthy. And then on the mainland, there's there's quite a few pockets of industry and, and development and it, lots of room for growth and affordable housing and all that stuff. So 
it's like this perfect mix of, you know, working class people and then, you know, the 1%. <laughs> so yeah if you ever want to see what's going on in town you just have this park at one of the bridges and you can just watch all the all the contractors going over there in the morning and it's a good way to know like how much business is going on just how many contractors and are driving over the bridges and same thing at the end of the day they all come back because no, none of them live over there we all live over here myself included so um that's interesting I, you know one question i wanted to ask you i was thinking about when you're talking is um how much of your business, your day to day right now, is is reactive versus proactive? Like you personally? Of me personally? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a good that's a good question. I try to pay attention to my emails. I think my in I think your inbox or my inbox is a good litmus test of like, are you spending your time doing the right thing? Mm. Um, I would say not enough of it is proactive but i have over time pushed more and more and more to living off of my outlook calendar uh because i just can't possibly remember all the things um are you doing a lot of meetings is that what you mean yeah yeah a lot of meetings a lot of scheduled stuff but i would say honestly probably it's still probably 60 percent reactive and 40% proactive and that's not that's not the way it should be <laughs> you know what I mean but uh, we you know for instance every every Monday I have we have uh, scheduled projects you know meetings and our project meeting is kind of a follow-up on jobs and then kind of planning for the week ahead of what's coming up and that kind of turns into just a you know a, a, a little bit of a catch-all for better or worse, of what's going on out in that market and what you know what's on the week ahead. Uh, every Monday afternoon, I had scheduled a couple managers in the area. We do a pricing exercise. No real plan other than let's talk about pricing, whether it's addressing you know manufacturer increases or strategically pricing lines. I mean, type of each other, so we have similar markets. But we don't, we don't set our prices the same, you know, just we have different market segments. Yeah, just trying to, I try to live and die off my calendar to get more into a, a uh, proactive state. And um, as far as delegating goes with that many employees, I think that's probably one of the things that, that is taught very little in the training program. Um, and then something that's incredibly important, especially if you're trying to get more more time back to yourself. How do you go about delegating things to your employees and what are some tips that uh, any trainee or new manager or, or even managers have doing this for 30 years could, could learn something from? What do you do? Um, so again, and part of that, uh, like I said, trying to, well, spend time with your employees, make it, make it a point to right now, today where I'm at, my, my customers are my employees and our vendors. Those yeah. are customers I call on. Yeah. Right. Um, per, and just to kind of use that example. So talking to them, uh, most of my people are still hungry for opportunity. So trying to get to what motivates them. Yeah, you know, I, I have, you know, because of the vast majority of my folks have been here for less than, say, six years. Um, and they're still relatively early in their career. I have a lot of people asking, 
having conversations with them and finding out what they what that means to them, what they like to do, you know, and then finding opportunities within that to what's on my plate, what can I hand off and get somebody to do better. Uh, also, just doing some, you know, finding small, unique opportunities to reward them for such. It doesn't have to be big and, and crazy. I mean, like I said, the $5 gift cards, uh, stuff like that, you know, um, helps reward them for taking things off of your plate. Uh, I like to use, you know, I kind of use this little example, right? Finding the, 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 the balance between what an employee likes to do, what they're good at, which obviously can, can change, you know, uh, and then what the business needs at that time. When you find the, the when you find that kind of, triple, you know, trifecta balance, those are the perfect opportunities to, to hand that off, I think. And then are you following up with them? And then like, you know, cause I, it's something I struggle with too. Like I, I'll send something off and in most people's minds, once they've delegated it out, it's kind of like, Oh good. That I'm done with that. I can move on to something else, but really it's not done until it's done, you know, until it's the, the customer has the quote or the job's done or the, the material's been received or whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, so, like, tactically, do you do you use, like, any tips or tools, like, follow-up via Outlook or anything like that as an example? Yeah, I, I, I use, again, I use my calendar for anything I can use my calendar for, <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, and I try, I've had to teach myself uh, to put a time constraint on most things, right? Just make, make it a point to clarify your expectation. I handed out a little uh, personality profile, um, that we went through to talk about like, um, you know, people's relationship bias, right. And how they, how they're motivated and how they communicate. Right. And I handed it out to, to my people today and I caught myself saying, you know, Hey, um, this only takes a few minutes. Please make it a point to get this done. They're like, okay. So like when, just anytime. And I was like, uh, anytime, as long as it's by the end of today, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so making it a point to have that clarification, right? Because you can't, my opinion is you can't get too frustrated at people if you never clarify the expectations. Hmm. Uh, but then if it's something that, that you're not going to remember within that day or within that hour or two, just calendar, right? Because my opinion is as they accept it, it, it's on the calendar, right? There's no, like anything when you're working with a vendor or a customer, right? The email, email history is always the best because, not that you want to use it to rub in their face or anything like that, but there's, you can't deny it, right? It's there. We, we agreed to it by accepting it. That that's your acceptance of the challenge or saying, yes, I will do this. Um, plus if you have it on your calendar, uh, I think lots of times when profit sharing time comes around, we tend to rely on our gut too much. Mm. Um, at least I did and used to. Um, I still do to a certain point, right? Uh, but the, when you delegate, when you have tasks, you delegate and you have conversations with people and they take ownership of it. These are the things, I think these are the tangible measurement tools you have to really make a, you know, a, a um, decisions come February, March that have proof and substance behind them as opposed to, well, they come in and they're pretty positive and they do most of the stuff I ask them to do, you know? That's a good point. 
I think it, it takes something that can be really subjective and makes it a little more objective. Yeah. To, yeah, absolutely. If you have it on your calendar also, it's a great coaching tool, right? Because if you don't get the, if I don't get the thought or the outcome that I wanted, there's already a, a time set in the future to provide that feedback loop. You know, if you just wing it and say, oh, well, I think they got it done or I didn't, it didn't, it didn't come back to bite me. Therefore they must have done an okay job. <laughs> right. That's, that's too open-ended. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's another thing, I guess, through, that's a big difference between when I had a small group of people who I was intimately involved with day in and day out doing quotes together. Um, you know, I'd be out, you know, be an outside salesperson and kicking back quotes or job opportunities or whatever. And then you get back, you see it's done where I'm at now. If I don't, it's very easy to get removed. Like there's, I can go a week without knowing what anybody's doing. Yeah. I think, and especially with outside guys, how many outside guys do you have? I have six full-time outside guys. Wow. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta make sure you're spending time. And I really like that you said that, you know, your employees and your vendors are now your customers and that's, that's kind of how it should be. You know, we take care of them. They take care of the actual customers you know, et cetera, it kind of, and then it comes back to you and you can have those relationships at the high level with the owners of these electrical contracting companies and things like that. But you don't want to get caught in the day-to-day minutia of, of their quote requests or their van stock material or whatever it is. Like anybody on your team should be able to handle that. I would think. Yeah. I'm honestly, what I, what I've had to accept also is I'm not really good. I'm not, I'm not really good at taking orders now on the inside sales front. (laughs) I realize that I've got a little rough. I mean, I'm, borderline embarrassed to admit that right but i try to make a point to still uh, attend the vendor trainings you know the lunch and learns i try to sit in on just in, you know i, I want to stay involved but my inside guys are way better inside guys than myself my project team way better way better than myself i think it's kind of a, a departure from my expectation as a young pc or a new pc manager walking in my first location which is I have to be the best at everything. Yeah, I have to prove to them that I'm. I want to set the standard and set the tone for every position here because that's what my job is. I need to outwork them and also be the best at everything. And think, that's just. I think if you hire good people and you provide them the tools and the training, you can't. It's it's impossible for you to be the best at everything. You, you can't do it, right? Well, I can't remember who said it. I think it was uh, Steve Jobs or whatever. He said, why would I Why would I hire somebody that is at, better at something than me and then try to take it away and do it myself all the time? You know, it's like yeah. that defeats the whole purpose. You hire good people, you get out of their way, you empower them, you give them the tools, you give them training, you give them feedback when they mess up, and then you get the hell out of their way and let them do their thing. That's, a, that's what employees want. That's what's going to make them happy. And that's what, ultimately what you want or what you should want as a leader and man, I I have been such a victim to that exact thing. Like I I want to be the most aggressive on the phones, the most aggressive at the counter. The you know if if I were delivering stuff, I'd want to be the best delivery driver there is. But I mean, at the end of the day, my business card says manager on it, and I really should focus on being the best manager and let everybody else do what they're really good at, and giving them opportunities to learn and grow just like I have. Yeah, um, I mean we've probably all heard it a million times before, right? But it's as a manager, how much time are you spending working, you know, on your business as opposed to in your business? 
yeah. right? The job is to work work on the the big picture stuff, right? It's just it's easy. It's easy for us to get sucked into the day to day. I miss sometimes I miss the the instant gratification. <laughs> That's one thing I don't really have a lot of anymore. It's like yeah. the decisions that that we make and the planning and, and the conversations we have. It's like you make a decision and then you know within a month to five years you might see some results of it. Uh, sometimes I miss just grinding some things out and walking out of work with that sense of accomplishment, right? I mean, I still get it here and there, but it's not like it was. Uh, my first inventory as PC manager of, of this location, uh, I have an ops manager, right? And he had been running the inventory for a few years. And, you know, I, I can do that. I'm good at that. But he had already been doing it. He instantly knew, the, you know, the, the process locally better than I did. So we spent a lot of time leading up to inventory. But the day of the actual count, I went back and I went back and ran off wire because <laughs> I was just sort of like, you know what? I want to tackle something. I want to accomplish something today, and I don't want to just stand around. So that's more. I'm not saying that's good. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying. For me, it, it was, I've realized, I've recognized that about kind of the transition, like, you know. Well, you're, you're not. Just rolling up my sleeves. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say that exact phrase. Like, you're not afraid to roll your sleeves up and get dirty with the rest of the guys. And, and you can't ask somebody to do something that you aren't personally ready to do at any moment. So, but the reason everyone's, you have all these people is because you have goals that are bigger than that moment. And so you bring them on board so they can fill in and, and take on those things. But. Every once in a while, man, you got to get back there and cut some wire and pull some pipe and, and show them that you're not afraid to do it. I think in my position, I've been in Vero for seven years, and it's it's a struggle for me because we've gone from three employees all the way up to nine. We're at, we're at eight right now. You know, we tripled the business, whatever. Um, but customers know me as the guy that does everything, the guy that answers the phones, the guy that pulls orders and waits on the counter. So if, if if there's nobody at the counter to intercept them almost, they're just going to walk right by and start talking to me in my office anyways. And I think that's a big challenge for growing PCs that it's one thing to take on a new role and move and like become the manager and you can kind of redefine your role. But when you evolve into this position over years, almost a decade, uh, customers don't always see that transition as, as clearly as we do or would like them to. Yeah, so I, I have a very similar but completely opposite experience right so i came here and i i was used to that you know i i was the manager who i like still clean the bathrooms you know what i mean at time we took turns right but i was the manager who would jump on the counter who would do who's willing to do everything you know had the biggest territory the only territory but you know the vast majority of, of the sales success there and uh i came here and you know my first week, I, you know, I worked the counter for a little bit, you know, I don't know, pick a number, two or three hours a day or something like that. And I very quickly and easily got sucked into the bigger stuff. And sometimes it bothers me. There's still a lot of customers that don't, you know, that I haven't done a great job of mingling with and getting to know on a personal level. So on one hand, it's good because I don't have you know, the miscellaneous vendors bothering me too much, you know, the ones that aren't strategically important. Um, I don't have people grabbing me when they see me walking by because they know I can work the counter. 
Uh, on the other hand, it's sometimes I feel like I've maybe, you know, I worry about being too isolated from the street level of the business, even though I know that's not the best thing for me to do. It's it's a unique position, you know. Yeah, you have to be of them but above them. I think that's a yeah. Point. It's t- it's tough. It's a tough balance. Yeah, I I can imagine. Yeah, huh. that's a lot to think about. Sounds like a really cool opportunity, though. It is. Um, I mean, there's long days and there's of long nights and. We don't have it all figured out yet. I mean, we have similar but different challenges than small PCs, right? Which is how do we become more profitable, right? Why does growth, you know, we have to constantly challenge ourselves that growth, top line growth should not be mutually exclusive from bottom line profitability and GP profitability. Um, Lots of times I think it's really easy to say, well, we're in a growth phase. So, yes, naturally our, our profitability is going to fall short term. But, of course, you know, over the course of time, it's going to come back around. That's a very easy approach to take to it. And certainly there's some truth to that out there in some markets. I don't want to just accept that as the way it has to be. But that's kind of the phase that we, we've – that's the path we've unfortunately found ourselves kind of going down. So – we're conscientious of it now, divided, trying to. Well, it sounds like you're very, very self-aware. Like that's a, that's an important trait. Yeah, yeah, it is. I uh, I also have so thankfully I have some people with me who will self-aware uh, because it helps you put the right people, I guess, in the right places around you. But the downside of that is. I tend to get some analysis paralysis at times, but uh, I got good folks around me to kind of put the heat on me to, to take action a little quicker at times. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, like I said, it's a lot to think about. I'm excited for you, man. It's it's cool to see, uh, to have known you as a trainee nine years ago and to know that you're running a huge location. It's it's really cool. It's, it's inspiring. So I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, definitely have to get you back on and, and hear some more about this development. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I still at times feel like the barely out of MT land running a small PC. It's just now it's not so small, and uh, there's still a lot of learning left to do. You know. Yeah, it's a forever. It's a forever path. You know. I hope. Hopefully, we always keep learning and and growing and. And locally, we work for a great company that allows us the opportunity to kind of kind of take that on ourselves if we want to, and and rewards us for it through through hopefully increased profits and sharing it with us. So it's uh, it's something that I think we could all do a better job of is just keep, keep on learning and, and growing and coming back for more. Yeah, I think if there's any one thing that we can all do, it's, um, you know, I don't want to be, it's easy now, it's kind of still only 10 years in, right? Talking about the, you know, what the other guys are doing and they're trying to sell in the old way. Well, sooner or later, we're going to be the guys who have been here for 20 plus years and who, you know, maybe are getting the reputation of being comfortable. So my goal today is to, is to every year, you know, keep on with the team and, and throw myself into new situations and hopefully not get those blinders on. I like it. Yeah. Complacency is death. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, I'll definitely be reaching out to you again. Yeah, perfect, man. Sounds good. Thanks again. All right, thanks, Tyler. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Take care.